Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me on the show today. We continue our examination of property financing and now look beyond cash and buy-to-let mortgages in the rest of the series. Today we shall take a tour of another form of institutional finance, specifically bridging finance. And we're joined on the show by subject matter expert Kevin Wright. Normally, I try to keep these sorts of guest contributions to around the 30 or even 45 minute mark. Although today, I'm sure you'll enjoy the extra 10 minutes or so we have with Kevin, as he has a truly inspirational and very personal story to share about the power of the mind and how it can transcend any situation, not just property. So please stick with me through to the end to hear that. I'll do a follow up episode on bridging finance later. But for now, let's hear what Kevin has to say on the subject. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Hi there. Well, I'm, uh, I've got another great guest on today's show. In fact, he's, he's great in a number of ways. I've got Kevin Wright with me. Hi, Kevin, first of all. Hi. Hello. It's really great to have you on the show uh, for more than one way. Obviously, we're going to pick your brains a bit in terms of being a subject matter expert um, for one particular area of this uh, yeah. alternative and creative financing that you know we're talking about right now. But equally, you've got a very inspiring story. Uh, I certainly think it's inspiring. And if we get the opportunity, I'd really like to just share a little bit of that as well as a bit of a bonus for some of our listeners. Will that be okay? Sure. Yeah, happy. Yeah, perfectly okay. Fantastic. So just to sort of set the scene, we're, we're in a, a series uh, on the Property Voice podcast. Um, at the time you and I are talking, I haven't released any yet, so uh, you won't have got the context. But generally speaking, it's all about alternative and creative financing in property. And uh, I know that you've got uh, probably, you could probably talk about a number of different aspects, but I've got you on today to talk specifically about uh, bridging finance and similar short-term lending types. So um, if it's okay, I'd really like to pick your brains on that. Yeah, Um, certainly. But before we get into it, let's just hear a bit about you really. Just why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit of an introduction and background and your specialist knowledge in this sort of area. So the listeners have got a context about you. Yeah, okay. Um, I think you look at it from two angles, from, from the property angle and also from the finance angle. Um, I started um, getting involved in property back um, when I did my first refurb in uh, 1983. Uh, I was doing a, inspired by, um, first of all, a, a book I read and also uh, a landlord that I lodged with. Um, a few years before that, I, you know, he was doing the same sort of thing, and, and I thought to myself at the time, that's something I'd, I'd like to be doing. Um, so I started off with, you know, with some buy to sells, and then I did some buy to holds. So I bought the property, refurbed it, and then rented it out. Um, and over the intervening years, you know, I was doing HMOs before they were even, you know, multi let letting by the room, uh, you know, 30 years ago. Um, so. Um, so I cut my teeth on all that sort of stuff. Um, in in the uh, intervening time, I've done I've done new build, 
uh, I'm still a landlord today. Um, so I've always been, you know, hovering around property, sometimes inactive and then going back, you know, periods of activity and then inactivity, um, depending on what else is going on in my life. But I've, I think once you get that property bug, it's really hard to to let go of it. And, and I've never wanted to let go of it, really. It's always uh, enthralled me uh, and captivated me. Um, I trained as a financial advisor um, back in 1992, so you know, nearly 25 years ago, um, and that uh, sort of uh, progressed through from being an independent financial advisor um, to realising there were certain aspects of uh, giving independent financial advice that bored me rigid, um, <laughs> typically sort of pensions, investments, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I decided to focus, you know, my uh, financial uh, career, if you like, on advising on my on my other love, which is property. So I I focused purely on, you know, pretty much for the last ten years, focused purely on dealing with um, finance financing deals for property investors. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that makes me happy because I'm always dealing. You know, in, on the financial side, I'm dealing with stuff that interests me. Um, as a you know, long-time investor myself, I understand implicitly the investor mindset, um, and I think a lot of um, uh, advisors that don't invest in property themselves uh, can't bring that same level of understanding to it. <coughs> um, and that sort of uh, about five years ago. Um, led to me being asked to speak at um, the property meetings that are, are held in, in numerous locations throughout the UK. Um, and that led to people asking me to uh, to train them um, because they felt that they couldn't learn it, all that they needed to from me within the space of an hour's talk. And since 2013, I've been running um, training programs, teaching creative and legal finance, uh, ways to finance property. And uh, and that's where I am really. So today I'm I'm a partner in my brokerage, um, and uh, I've got an education business as well, um, which which sits very nicely alongside that. And uh, and I'm still um, currently I'm in an inactive period in property while I build those two businesses, but that will uh, as it always does move on to an active period where I'm back doing some stuff with property. Well, thanks for that. I mean, there's there's clearly lots we could talk about. You know, we may well talk about it in, in a different context. Um, I think, sure. you know, but today, if I can kind of narrow the focus in terms of uh, bridging finance and short-term financing sure. in property, I know I yes, know sure. very well from personal experience that that's a specialist area and it's one of those businesses yes. you just talked about. Um, so let's just get into the into the guts of it, if you like. So thank you very much for the introduction. And we'll come back and talk a little bit more about that personal story. There's actually a few things I noted there which are really interesting in themselves. Mm. But um, if we just pick up the idea of, um, of of bridging finance and similar, a lot of people who, who listen to this podcast will certainly be aware of buy-to-let mortgages. Um, you know, that's, yes. uh, or, you know, that's, that's a, a standard way to get involved in property investing. A few, uh, maybe less so, will be aware of bridging finance or auction finance and similar types of short-term lending. And and those and some of those who are aware of it, frankly, they might be a little bit, I don't know, frightened uh, of it. Uh, I've heard people, you know, occasionally talk about, you know, it's expensive and this sort of thing. So, but from from your point of view, 
um, or from my point of view, I definitely think it's somewhat, you know, it has a place in, in our armory as a property investor. But what would you say is the position of bridging finance and, and, and its equivalents or alternative names? And how does it fit into the sort of financing landscape for property investors? Well, I would say it fits in, um, uh, it, it should be part of the toolkit for what I would term as a savvy investor. Um, so someone that that's, uh, aims to play a, a bit bigger game or is a bit more sophisticated than just putting 25% down and getting a buy-to-let mortgage. Um, you know, that, that typically is the entry point for a lot of um, uh, investors when they start start their, their their career or their journey in property, you know, and that's fine. Um, but you know, it's a bit like um, buying a car and never taking it beyond first or second gear. Um, you know, you're uh, by limiting yourself to only doing buy-to-let mortgages um, and the deals that you can do, the, the deals that you're limited to doing by that, you're missing out on an awful lot of um, potentially lucrative projects mm-hmm. um, you know and just to, to, to highlight one instance of that with a buy to let mortgage um, it has to be pretty much day one rentable because um, uh, when a uh, mortgage surveyor goes around uh, to, to value it on behalf of a buy to let lender they will be expecting to see a property in reasonably good condition to the point where someone would be prepared to pay money to rent that out day one. And if and if it's not in, in as good a condition at that, you'll be declined for a mortgage. Mm-hmm. And there's a number of properties um, that would be in that in that uh, f- fit that criteria. So you know if, if the only tool in your toolbox is a buy to let mortgage and it comes back as unmortgageable, you're out the game. Exactly. And so, sorry, sorry, Kevin. I was going to say, so what what would be some typical scenarios when you would consider bridging finance? So you just mentioned one. So if it's an unmortgageable property, and I guess you can define, uh, well, I know, but I'd like in your words, you know, what sort of things would make it unmortgageable? But what sort of projects would people typically be looking at for bridging finance? Yeah, it's, um, you know, in the most simplistic terms, if the, if the, property in question that, that you want to buy as an investor um, hasn't got a serviceable kitchen and bathroom, um, then it's not mortgageable. Mm-hmm. Um, now, so it, it, that's a bit of a, um, it's an inexact science, if you like, because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's the valuer's opinion as to whether it's rentable or not. So it's not the fact of whether, it, it, clearly it's not mortgageable, it hasn't got a kitchen or bathroom at all. But it can still be unmortgageable if it does have a kitchen or bathroom, but they're not of sufficient quality. Mm-hmm. And the, you know the litmus test is in a in a surveyor's mind, in a valuer's mind, would I pay money to rent this property in its current condition? And if their opinion is no, the kitchen and the bathroom is too scabby, um, I wouldn't pay to rent this. Then it will be deemed as unmortgageable. Um, but there are there are a number of other um, situations um, that make a property unmortgageable. Um, having too many kitchens uh, would make it unmortgageable in buy-to-let terms. Um, having structural problems, uh, Japanese knotweed, um, 
and you know there's a whole host of things that uh, make um, uh, a property temporarily unmortgageable. Now, if you want to buy any of those things, you've got two ways to do it. You've got cash, if you've got sufficient cash, and most people haven't, or bridging finance. Because uh, one of the main things that I teach is bridging finance turns you into the equivalent of a cash buyer. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> because bridgers will lend on properties um, that are not in perfect condition. So you've got uh, scenarios where, because you talked about renting a property there, you know, if the value is, would I pay money to live here? Um, okay, you, uh, the definition, would I pay money, could stretch beyond rental, but that's probably what comes to people's minds. So yeah, you know, yeah. a, a rental model, would I pay money to rent to live here? But um, there could be other projects where bridging finance also lends itself. Uh, for example, you want to flip the property on. So. Um, yep. they, they, you know, you might want to do works, for example, put a kitchen in where there isn't one. <laughs> um, add, you know, do some works to make it mortgageable. Um, yep. Rent, you know, to to therefore rent it out or to sell it on. There could be a couple of other types of project where with people should really be thinking about it. What are the what are the typical, you know, top top three to five sort of scenarios? Would you say? Yeah, um, it's uh, very common to buy a, buy a, a standard residential property and convert it to. Um, an HMO or a multi-let, um, you know, uh, to put it accurately, an HMO is only is only one that needs an HMO license. Um, if, if it's if, it, if it's uh, let by the room but it doesn't need a license, it's called a multi-let. Um, but they now tend to be bracketed, and the whole thing, the whole genre is called HMOs. Um, so you know, if you're letting by, the, if you're converting a property to be let by the room. Um, that's an opportunity to use bridging finance. Uh, if you're doing any sort of conversion, um, so you know a commercial to resi conversion, um, that's an opportunity to, to use bridging finance. Um, if you need to complete fast, and some some vendors need a quick sale, um, typically they need they'll need to complete whatever their circumstances. They have a a, a need a requirement to complete within four weeks. Um, and you're just not going to do that with a mortgage in, with almost every lender. Uh, with, with bridging lenders, you know, that's quite easy. I mean, I've done a bridging loan start to finish in five working days, completely. Um, that's not the norm because no, most people don't need to work that fast. Um, but typically, you'd, you'd wrap up a bridging loan in two to four weeks. Yeah. Um, so if speed is the essence, um, then the bridging loan would do it. Great. So I think you just you've answered that. Thank you. Um, you know, three to five are the top reasons. Speed is definitely one of them. Um, you know, which cuts across a range of different projects. But so just just tell me, Kevin, how how does sort of bridging finance work in general terms? What are the sort of nuts and bolts? You know, from a headline point of view, what what you know yeah. what what process do you go through, and what what things characterise bridging finance? I mean, the, the process in uh, in its you know, in in big picture terms, is sim is similar to a you know a, 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 a applying for a mortgage. You know, you'd fill out an application form, um, you'd provide some you know proofs of ID and that type of thing. Um, the property would be uh, surveyed, um, underwritten, um, and you know the the legal um, conveyancing would be completed. Um, but in terms of how it's actually applied. It's almost like taking the process of a mortgage and turning it on its head. Mm -hmm. um, so 
to, to give you a, a, a big headline on that, mortgage lending is income-based lending. And by that I mean the underwriting process is to determine um, whether you, your or your your property's rental income is sufficient to maintain mortgage payments years into the future. So, so mortgage underwriting is all about determining the applicant's ability to maintain monthly payments. Yep. Bridging finance is asset-based lending. So the the borrower, the applicant, is pretty much peripheral. Where where the borrower is central in a mortgage application, they're peripheral in a bridging application because it's all about the property, the asset. Um, so bridging lenders are far less concerned with you as an individual um, because they know that one way or another they will be repaid within a matter of months. And there's only two ways you can repay a bridging loan, either by selling the property or refinancing it. And they know you'll do one or the other within a few months. Um, so they're not really interested in you, they're interested in the property. As long as the property um, is something that they feel they can get a, um, a return on and you can get a return on, they're happy to lend. So it's a shorter underwriting process. The other big difference is that um, with, with a survey or evaluation, with mortgage lending, it comes later in the, in the underwriting process. And it's fundamental to, de to determining whether they're gonna lend or not. So you, might, you as a, an individual might fit the bill uh, and the lender would be very happy to lend to you and then they go and survey the property, and as we've said before, it comes back that it, and it's unmortgageable, and therefore your application is declined. Doesn't ha that doesn't happen with bridging. Um, when I give a bridging lender the details on a property, um, they'll just Google it, have a look on Street View, and they'll make their decision to lend there and then. The reason they do a survey is having already decided to lend, they want a value to lend against. Interesting. So you wouldn't, you won't get a bridger doing a valuation and then um, putting the plug on the on the um, on the application because they don't like the property. They've already decided they like the property, or they've decided they don't like the property, and they'll give you a straight no. This one's not for us. Yeah. So it's um, you know, it it's it's almost like an upside down. Uh, processing system in that pretty much everything that applies with a mortgage um, applies in reverse to a bridging loan. It's a really good simple way of illustrating that. Thank you. Uh, and in, and in yeah. terms of, you know, bridging finance, you know, today, I mean, certain things lend themselves to um, different points in the property cycle, let's say. But in bridging finance, would you say it's a big opportunity now and in the near future? Uh, definitely. Um, as I say, you know, it allows you to play, play a bigger game. Um, you know, one of the other big things I teach um, is that bridging finance allows you to shrink your deposit. Now, with mortgage lenders, um, when they look at the value of a property, their basis of, of, of every mortgage is that it's, uh, the loan is based on the lower of the value or the purchase price. So if you happen to be buying a property below its true current value, 
it makes absolutely no difference to, to how much you borrow on a mortgage because um, they'll, if, if the purchase price is lower than the value, they'll just lend you 75% of the purchase price. Um, that's not always true of bridging. A lot of bridging lenders do exactly the same, but there are a handful that will lend on the value and ignore the purchase price. So let's say, for example, uh, and, and I broker these deals regularly, where you have a motivated seller, they want a quick sale, and they're prepared to let the property go under its true value to get that quick sale. Now, let's just say you negotiate a 20% discount on the true current value. Now, with the right bridging lender, that 20% will be part of your deposit. So that's 20% of the deposit you don't have to find. Uh, and that's a big, big game changer. Because when you realize that the lump of cash you've got doesn't have to mean it's mean 25% of the purchase price, it can mean only 10% or 5% of the purchase price. It allows, it allows you to significantly uplift the maximum value of deals that you're looking at. Um, so people I teach on my uh, workshops, typically they would leave um, ha and have an increase their maximum bid price by two to three hundred percent. So if you're searching on right move, um, you've got the minimum and maximum um, uh, filter. Um, after they've after I've taught them about how how to use bridging creatively like this, that that maximum. Uh, number they put in would increase by two to three hundred percent typically. So one hundred thousand turns into two to three hundred thousand, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just, so you understand that your cash uh, doesn't limit you to buying a properties of a hundred thousand. You can actually buy the right property worth between two and three hundred thousand with the same pot of cash. Yeah. So that's what's driving it really. Some of the benefits, and in fact, there are niches within niches here. I'm picking up, um, but the benefits of speed of you know being able to access property which you know is out of reach for conventional means. Uh, yeah. If you're doing things like conversion projects of various guises, um, and obviously this this ability, this is the niche within the niche. Some of the bridging lenders allow you to um, to lend on value rather than purchase price. Um, yep. And this is how you get the, the idea of um, shrinking your deposit or leveraging your purchasing power, whichever way you want to look at it. Yep. Um, yep. It's really good to get those benefits. Are there any other ones I've, we kind of missed there um, amongst that? Uh, well, there's another variant I teach where you, um, if you find a, a vacant property, and a probate property would be an ideal type for that, um, where you negotiate with the vendor to exchange contracts, get the keys on exchange, rather than completion, as is the norm, uh, get their permission to enter the property, and you do your refurb between exchange and completion, deferring the completion beyond the normal four weeks, if you have to, to complete the refurb, and then using a specific bridger um, who will come and, come and value the, uh, the property that, that you, the, or the value of property you've created with the refurb, and again, ignore the purchase price. Um, so you spend a bit of your own cash between exchange and completion to do the refurb, and typically you'd borrow 100% or more of the purchase price. It's pretty because neat. Because they're, they're lending on the value you've created between exchange and completion. Yeah, and it's pretty neat. And I, I think it needs also, uh, it's probably worth pointing out, it needs specialist advice and guidance. 
uh, from someone who's uh, used to doing these sorts of transactions. And I know <laughs> that would probably include you, include you sure. Kevin. But uh, you know, I think uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I regularly mentor investors um, on on structuring these deals, and then and then effectively hold their hand through the process. I mean, obviously, it's clear that you, you do guidance, but um, in terms of how people, property investors, could ready themselves for the for, for dealing with a bridging lender, um, you know, what what sort of things could the average investor do to get themselves, you know, lender ready, uh, lend, you know, bankable, if you like, from a bridging lender's point of view? Are there anything any yeah. sort of bits of tips and advice you can give there? Yes, um, suspend your belief about what what borrowing from a lender is all about, uh, because take take what you understand that mortgage lenders want um, and disregard it because um, you don't need a big pile of cash, you don't need perfect credit and you don't need a sizable provable income to be able to, use, to, borrow, uh, to, be able to access bridging finance. So um, all the people that are unmortgageable um, are almost certainly bridgeable. So there's a whole swathe of investors that are not actively buying property because they can't get mortgages, and they're uh, playing the game, playing the game of controlling property rather than buying it because they believe they can't buy property. Uh, there's nothing wrong with those um, with controlling property. You know, rent to rent is a is a great strategy for a lot of people to create a big um, uh, cash flow in a relatively short space of time. But they're all but they're missing out on opportunities. Um, now, if you can't get mortgages, you're not going to be able to um, uh, execute a buy-to-hold strategy because you can't hold a property if you can't get a mortgage, but you can certainly execute a buy-to-sell strategy. Yeah. Um, so people people that can't get mortgages um, can still be buying property and flip it, and they can do that to their heart's content. As many deals as they can find, they can buy and flip. Good to know. So, um, are there any other general tips and pointers? You know that um, you know. I guess how you could use bridging finance in your armory. I I know that you. I don't know if you're still using the term ninja, are you? But I'm kind of queuing up others. When when does sort of these alternative uh, strategies and approaches? Because if you like, bridging is the is the vehicle. You know, but you know it's, yes. it's the situations. It's the destination. It's it. How could you apply it to to make money? You've kind of touched on quite a lot already. I know that, but. Um, what, are the, what are those situations that um, lend themselves for bridges, bridging finance particularly? Yeah, um, I, I, yes, I still do refer to it as uh, you know ninja investing, um, simply because you know it allows you to sort of work under the radar. Really, um, you know, you'll be going for deals that most investors will be scratching their head thinking, "How do I finance that?" Um, and uh, you know, it, it's uh, it's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek. Um, reference but uh, <coughs> you know it is quite appropriate I think um, so uh, I guess I guess what bridging does is it allows you to um, even if you haven't got a massive cash bank balance it allows you to do everything cash buyers do you know you can think the way they do you can act the way they do you can negotiate the way they do you can buy the types of properties that they do you make the type of profits that they do um, you know, and the thing about bridging is, uh, I mean, I always remember my old dad, you know, um, if, he, if ever he was buying anything, he'd get the price 
uh, he teased the price out of the person, whether it was a salesman or, or you know, or or someone selling something, and he'd get the price, and it was almost like a, a game to get that price out of him, and then he'd hit them with, great, how much for cash? I was going to say, yeah, I'm waiting for that. How much for cash, yeah. Yeah, how much for cash? Um, because, you know, the cash buyer thing, that also transcends property. That's a universal experience. So um, everyone expects to pay less if they're paying for cash. Yeah. You, know, um, you don't get so many cash buyers in property simply because of the sums involved. But bridging finance allows you to adopt that that uh, negotiating stance um, of well, how much for cash? Um, and if you've got a vendor that uh, can't afford to sit and wait for a year for to sell their property and get an optimum price, then they're going to be up for a cash deal to a lesser or greater degree. Um, and I mentioned savvy investors. You could call them ninja investors if you like. There's another way to do it. You know, they will know that actually bridging's not expensive. It's really cheap. And the reason it's really cheap is that in most cases with the right vendor, you can negotiate a discount to the purchase price equal or greater than the cost of bridging finance. So how expensive is bridging if the vendor's paying for it, not you? Yep. I got yeah. Uh, it's a good way of summarising it. Um, both both the sort of cash savvy buyer angle, and also that the uh, it brings me on, if you like, to one of the perceived downsides. I want to talk to you about potential downsides or things to watch out sure. for. One of the perceived downsides is 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 if you like the rate. Um, bridging finance has got a higher you know rate uh, than tra traditional buy to let, but you've just quite yeah. clearly uh, identified where you know there are situations where the, the rate can be offset or it can be used to your advantage or it can be paid for in a different. Yeah. But, but generally speaking, what what would you say, you know, hand on heart, are there some of the things to watch out for, which you know certainly could catch the novice out um, with yeah. bridging finance? What's different, and 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 people should be aware of. Okay, uh, clearly the rate's higher, and, and no one would say otherwise. You know, typically you'll be paying one percent a month. Um, there are variations, um, uh, you know, deals, lenders that will stray either side of that, but typically it's one percent a month, and that and that's. You know, clearly more expensive than a buy-to-let mortgage, but it does stuff that buy-to-let mortgages don't do. Um, uh, you, um, one other thing is that um, on on the legal costs, um, it differs from mortgages where, uh, with mortgages, you have one conveyancer, one solicitor that acts with both lender and borrower. That doesn't happen in bridging. Um, you have your um, conveyancer, solicitor, and the bridger has theirs, and you pay for both. So you've got an extra cost to factor in there. Um, another thing to be to be aware of is, and this is this is where I think you know it would catch out the the less experienced investor, is that the, there's a natural tendency to underestimate the life cycle of a project. So you think the the refurb's going to be done quicker than it is. You're going to find a buyer quicker than you are, and the buyer's going to take uh, a shorter time to get their mortgage in place than they actually are. So um, it's 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 entirely possible that you overshoot the term yeah. with bridging finance. Um, and if you overshoot the term, there are penalties. Um, you, most of, well, in fact, every bridger in their contract would clearly have a penalty rate of interest if you overshoot the term. 
um, and you don't want to be sitting on a penalty rate of interest for too long before that starts to eat significantly into the profit in your project. Um, so, and it's one of the things that I certainly mentor people on when I'm helping them structure a bridging deal is we look at the time frame that it's going to take you to exit the project and build some contingency in there, maybe an extra couple of months in there. Um, because no bridger is ever going to charge you a penalty for repaying early. So there's there's every every incentive to go long with it with the term on a bridging loan and and no no incentive to go short. So if you think it's going to take you, you know, uh, four or five or even six months to exit a bridging loan, whether that's by sale or refinance, add a couple of months on, um, and that allows for the plumber not turning up when they say they were going to turn up, you know, and backing up the whole um, refurb project by, you know, four to five weeks. Um, and if it does run more smoothly, and you finish a couple of months early, well, you're not going to pay for those couple of months anyway because they'll rebate that back interest back to you. Um, so I think that's definitely a um, overrunning is a is an is an issue, um, and also uh, under, if you if accurately estimating the cost of your refurb. Um, you know, if you think it's going to cost twenty thousand and it ends up costing thirty thousand. And you haven't got the extra ten thousand, you know that can be problematic. Now, there's some cases where the bridger would help you out and just give you a further advance just to finish it off. Um, but you're much better to um, to overestimate rather than underestimate the costs. I think it's fair to say, isn't it? I mean, there's some very good pointers there, but it's also fair to say that. Um there's a, you know, a lot of people have the, the phrase, uh, it's easier to seek forgiveness than it is permission. You know, you know that phrase. But with dealing with a, a bridging right. lender, it's probably the other way around, isn't it? <laughs> I, yeah. You know, that go. doesn't really work with bridges. Now, most of them are not unreasonable people. So, you know, if you're on a buy-to-sell um, uh, project and you've refurbed it, it's on the market, you've found a buyer, the buyer's had it surveyed, the mortgage is being processed, but on the day that the bridging loan is due to expire, the buyer just hasn't got their mortgage offer out yet. Um, if you keep in contact with the lender and they know the situation, you know they can choose not to. Although they're entitled to invoke the penalty rate, sometimes they will choose not to. It's an individual's decision, um, but um, they might just say, oh, "Well, give us a month's interest at the normal rate because we think you'll probably be out in a month." Um, but but if, if, if they get the sense that you've deliberately uh, underestimated the, the term um, and you're always going to overshoot anyway, you know, they will just stick you on the penalty rate of interest. Um, and, you know, they're, you know, the, seeking forgiveness is a largely fruitless exercise. Yeah. Um, because they say, you know, they say, we, these were the terms, you didn't abide by the terms, so now you pay the penalty. Yeah, so there's plenty of upsides, but there's a couple of things just to watch out for. You need to, you know, go in with your eyes open and be, you know, have a plan and, and be able to communicate well with the lender if things weren't going yeah. according to that plan. Uh, maybe have a contingency or two. So it, it's important because there are some pretty stiff, uh, it's not just penalty rates, but there are some stiff provisions in their terms and conditions, as there are with any lender. But, um, yeah. you know, because uh, a bridging lender is looking at very much a short-term exit, 
um, yeah. they're perhaps looking to uh, get get hold of that exit. You know, if uh, things don't look like they're going according to plan. But I won't dwell on it. Yeah, well, you know. No, every lender um, has in their armory uh, the ability to repossess. Yeah, and thousands, tens of thousands, probably uh, mortgages. Uh, you know, uh, uh, are repossessed every year. So mortgage lenders do it. Um, a bridging lender, it 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 won't be the their first port of call. But they will probably get get round to that point quicker than a mortgage lender. Yeah, exactly. That's where I was driving at, really. So, yeah, yeah good to know. Um, you know, watch out for that, but don't let it scare you off and duly. But uh, do the right planning. I think is the um, is the watchword there, and definitely seek permission, not forgiveness. <laughs> um, okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, just sort of moving into a bit of a wrap up in terms of the, for, the, the sort of knowledge sharing specifically about the topic. Um, I was wondering, Kevin, do you, do you have any specific uh, resources? I didn't talk to you about this beforehand, but is there anything that, you know, uh, whether it's a tool, application or, or anything really that you potentially could help property investors with uh, bridging finance in particular that you could refer them to? Yeah, there's, um, there's a couple of websites that I run. Um, where there's um, some some little videos. Um, uh, rather than do a written FAQ, I've done a video FAQ. So I answer you know 20 plus of the most popular questions that people have asked me on bridging over the years. Um, I do a blog um, that's accessible via via either um, of the websites um, and. The blog is is typically me problem solving, um, you know, and this would be uh, people asking me a question um, on a particular subject about property, and I would give an answer. And, and typically, it's not wholly focused on bridging, but it's about situations mm. um, where bridging can come come to be used. So, you know, just for example, um, just to pick one, and there and there, if you go on the the blog you see there are many examples on there um, but uh, someone wants to buy a property a, a, a property where it's been converted into flats um, unfortunately the person that converted the flats didn't get the plan permission to do so hmm. so it's an illegal conversion and there are thousands upon thousands of these across the country um, and if it's an illegal conversion the council reserved the right to issue an order to convert it back to its original form hmm. It, they might not use it, but they have the power to use it if they choose to. And for that reason, no mortgage lender is going to touch that. So can you buy a property like that? Well, only with cash or potentially bridging finance. Certainly can't get a mortgage on it. Um, but do you resolve it? Yes, you, you apply for um, uh, effectively retrospective planning, um, you know, a certificate of lawfulness. And as soon as you get that from the council, um, and that is the thing about, um, you know, asking for forgiven, uh, uh, forgiveness, not permission, um, then it becomes mortgageable, you know, and that's quite a simple deal to do where, where you could, you, you've got to buy it with cash or bridging, but you can quite easily make it mortgageable. And then if you bought it right, you'll get a significant uplift in value. So I give people answers to those sort of questions. People, you would, you would say, you know, I found a property, it's been converted into flats, I found out there's no... Um, Planning permission. I've been turned down for a mortgage. What do I do? And I'd answer those sort of, you know, those sort of questions. So where do where do people go to find those, Kevin? Yeah. Um, there's um, 
a website called recycleyourcash.co.uk. Yeah. And the other one is ninjainvestorprogram.co.uk. Okay, so what I'll do is I'll make sure those links are in the show notes. Obviously, you've just read them out, but um, we, we do show notes, and I'll make sure that they're there as well. Yeah. So um, I particularly like your 20 questions video FAQ. That sounds uh, that yeah. sounds good, um, and I'm sure that the problem solving, you know, like deal surgery almost, aren't they? So um, I'm sure they're, yeah. they're, they're good as well. You know, and, I, and I've, I've built up a library of those in recent years because, um, you know, people ask these sort of questions, and I think that, um, you know, whoever's asking it are not the only person with that issue. No, fair enough. I find, I find it a really um, sort of useful way to, um, you know, to, to, to help people um, uh, by, you know, accessing it being a blog. Okay. So uh, just thinking about some of our listeners, they're probably intrigued with some of the things you had to say um, using bridging finance. I wonder, is there anything unique or special as an offer that you are prepared to make available to the listeners of the Property Voice? Um, well, um, I'm in a process as we speak in the autumn of um, 2006, of, of expanding the ways that you can access the information, which for the last uh, nearly four years has, has only been available by um, a live workshop. And I'm now expanding that to audio and visual versions, um, both um, in, you know, in the form of DVDs and CDs or the downloadable alternatives, uh, and also the written format. Um, so I'm going to be launching um, the book, which is all around the same uh, the content that I do. Uh, the book's called Recycle Your Cash, and it's going to be published um, hopefully um, at the back end of um, 2016. That's the aim. Um, and yes, the I, I will do an offer. The offer is um, I'll give you a free copy of my book. Oh, well, that's fair enough, isn't it? Um, where you can learn about all the stuff that I've been talking about here an awful lot more, uh, all the stuff that I've, I've been teaching investors in recent years. Uh, the only thing I ask you to do is pay for the postage and packing. Yeah. So um, what we'll do is uh, if people quote the Property Voice, um, um, they can get a free copy of your book subject to post and packaging. Um, we probably ought to put a deadline because this this uh, it's, it's sort of evergreen this this podcast. So it might you know you might get people in two years time asking for it, and unless you're happy for that to happen. Um, oh, I mean, an initial deadline would be um, you know the end of 2016. But if you're listening to this and it's it's um, you know some point in the future, um, you know. Ask forgiveness. Don't ask, don't get. Don't <laughs> ask, don't get. Ask for forgiveness and you might find it, yeah. <laughs> there we are. Yeah. Ask, for, ask for a copy of the free book and, and see, you know, if I'm feeling in a generous mood. <laughs> Fantastic. And so uh, in general terms, uh, are those website references the best way for people to reach you or is there, is there another way for people to get, contact you? I think the, uh, the easiest way to contact me um, is just by an, is an email address as well, and that's inspire at recycleyourcash.co.uk. Do you know what, Kevin? That's a great uh, link, I think, just to talk a little bit, if you've still got a few minutes. Yes. Uh, inspiration. <laughs> you, you said inspire at, didn't you? Inspire at recycleyourcash.co.uk. Uh, inspiration and, and you definitely you have an inspirational story uh, do you want to sort of tell us a little bit about that so 
um, just just tell us what you've been going through and your attitude towards it. That would be just sure. really great if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, I think most people would agree and have experienced the fact that from time to time life throws you a curveball. And um, it threw me one um, in April of um, 2016 um, when I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, um, which is a form of cancer. Now, um, it's apparently now in the Western world um, affects one in two two people now. So there, there's an I guess pretty much everyone is untouched uh, by cancer. Either they've been diagnosed with one one or other form of it themselves, or they know someone fairly close to them that has. So it's a thing that would resonate with an awful lot of people. Um, and I'm really grateful that um, prior to that, I had spent an, a great number of years uh, informally educating myself about the power of the mind. Um, I'd been studying and practicing NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, uh, from 2000 onwards, and even predating that by a decade. You know, I'd read um, a number of a vast number of books on. Yeah, and you know, personal development in in its in its different guises. Um, and one of the things that um, you're aware of is that um, you don't have to be defined by by anything. You've got the ability to choose a meaning that that works for you for any circumstance in your life. So, um, you know, in in NLP terms, it's called reframing. So you're given a you're given a um, you know the standard um, meaning to a particular circumstance, but you don't have to accept that. You can say no, this 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 doesn't work for me. I need a different meaning to make it more palatable, more more positive for me. So um, you know, applying that learning, I sat and thought, well, what does what does a cancer diagnosis mean to me? And the meaning that I chose to attach to it was that it, it actually was a wonderful opportunity to conduct a real-life experiment into the degree with which I could use my mind to control what occurred in my body. So I gave my mind full permission to uh, eradicate and flush out all the cancerous cells in my body. And I drew inspiration from another um, phenomenon, which many people will be aware of, which is the placebo effect. Now, there's an overwhelming body of evidence stretching back 50 or 60 years that for every trial of a new drug, when it gets to the point where there are human trials, um, each drug company um, divides the people taking part in the trial who have got the condition that they're trying to cure with the drug, condition, illness, disease, whatever it might be, they split them into two groups. Uh, the first group gets the drug. The second group is told by the doctors running the uh, trial that they're going to get the drug and it's going to cure them, but actually they don't get the drug. What they get is a harmless sugar pill or... or, or um, the 
uh, you know, saline equivalent, you know, the, the um, liquid equivalent. And curiously, on every test, going back decades, every trial, a number of those people that just got the placebo, the belief that they form in their mind that they're being given something that's going to cure them, cures them. So for me, that was a massive thing. So what I understood from that is that if your belief is strong enough, your mind can cure, uh, can cure whatever's wrong with your body. And so I adopted the phrase, I am my own placebo. Now I made some dietary changes as well. And um, together with the, the mindset, the dietary changes, um, I, I chose to believe that I, I was in control. I had the power of using my mind to cure myself of cancer. I still took the chemo, you know, in a belt and braces. Um, but as I said to my consultant, you're the junior partner in this arrangement. <laughs> Um, so, and I think the typical response is um, for people is that they absolve them in that situation. They absolve themselves of their responsibility. There's a saying: um, "Your life in their hands." Now, there's even been television series, I think, you know, that highlight doctors. And for me, that's a very dangerous phrase um, because it implies that um, you give up all control, you give up all responsibility and you passively place yourself at your doctor's, um, you know, under your doctor's control. Now, clearly you want to leverage their expertise, but I think when you, when you give them complete control and you absolve yourself of any responsibility, um, you're missing out on the power of your own mind. And our own mind I think we've got very, very little understanding of, of how powerful that is. So where... It's, it's, sorry, it's a bit like... Um, um, you know, it's a bit like in Star Wars. You know, there's this secret power, but you have to be trained as a Jedi to, to access it. Well, actually, there is a secret power, but you don't have to be trained. You just have to access it. So uh, what's the what's the situation? That was a diagnosis in April 2016. We're in September 2016. Yep. What, what's happened in between? Um, how was it? Uh, I had a scan um, before I started to identify scan that identified the extent and the position of the cancerous cells in my body. Um, within uh, I had another scan eight weeks later, and the, um, with after three chemo treatments, and that had re reduced in that in that period of time, in eight, eight weeks, um, by somewhere in the region of ninety percent. Mm -hmm. So, using a combination of mind, uh, diet, and chemotherapy, you now I achieved a reduction in the region of ninety percent of the cancerous cells in that period of time. Um, I've now completed a further three. Um, rounds of chemo and I'm just waiting for an, another scan to be done um, in about a month's time um, and we'll see the results of that and I'm, I'm very hopeful that that will show that I'm clear and in remission. 
I hope so too as well. And I think you know it is inspirational. I don't, there'd be people probably who do know you, who who have listened, who are listening to this uh, podcast episode, and uh, they do know you. They may well be connected to you already, and, uh, and and could have seen some of your posts and updates on Facebook in particular, which is you know, I've I've been observing. I'm also pretty sure there'll be a few who don't know you, or at least are not connected to you in that way, and maybe haven't seen some of that. But I just, you know, I would encourage people to, if you're still accepting friend requests on Facebook, um, okay, I would say look, look you up. You're pretty noticeable. Uh, you've got your trademark yellow shirt, haven't you? Uh, yes. I believe. Yep, you got that. So yep. look, look Kevin up on Facebook and just have a look at some of the uh, updates and, and the progress reports. You've been a little bit, um, how do I call it? You've been modest a little bit, I think, in, 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 in the way you've shared that experience. I know it's quite a serious topic. Um, you know, you're living it, but you know it's it is an, an inspiration to to have, you know watched your journey over these these last few months, and it, it's almost like well, you've certainly been applying what you'd been learning over the the years, decades before, with the yeah. pow- power of the mind, and um, putting it into an active uh, you know active practice in, in in what is a pretty serious health condition. So, I certainly admire what you've been going through and your approach to it, and. Um, you know, all the best for when that uh, next result comes out in about a month's time. I'm, I'm pretty sure that if you were 90% clear after eight weeks, uh, you know, another whatever, eight to 12 weeks later, that sort of region, I'm pretty sure that the remaining 10% would have been obliterated. Well, that, that's certainly my hope. But I think, you know, the, it, the, there's a, you know, it transcends, the, the, the stuff with the power of your mind transcends um, my particular situation and, you know, anyone can choose to apply that same sort of process to any aspect, any challenge in their life. You know, there's um, you, your mind can find a solution to it if you, if you just get it get it on board and on your side. Um, your mind can find the solution. If you haven't got the solution within you, and often you have, um, your mind can can source the solution because it will be somewhere. Yeah, it, it is inspirational. There's so many quotes coming to my mind that, you know, back up what you've just said, and I'll probably, you know, do a bit of a, a segue in my own thoughts uh, around this interview uh, and maybe bring some of those into bear. But, you know, the, the mind is powerful, absolutely, as you say, and you're living proof of that. So, Kevin, I just want to say all the best, you know, with uh, with that next scan scan and the, the results. Thank you. Um, and, and, you know, by all means, everyone uh, reach out to Kevin for a number of reasons. <laughs> you know, you can talk about the mind, you can talk about bridging finance. So, and, and it sounds like there's quite a lot of other stuff going on as well, to, which is a good reason yeah. to talk. But I just want to say thanks very much. I really appreciate you sharing uh, both of, on the technical issues of bridging finance, but also on a more sort of, you know, wider sub- subject of, you know, how we can use the power of a mind to reframe uh, experiences and events to our own advantage. Really appreciate that, Kevin. Been been an absolute pleasure, Richard. Just a quick wrap-up from me then. I'm very grateful for Kevin's contributions there. Uh, Lots of great advice in how to apply bridging finance and also in the power of the mind over the body during that conversation. I'm sure you'd agree. I hope you enjoyed listening to how we can use uh, bridging finance as as a savvy investor or as Kevin also likes to call us, ninja investors. (laughs) I'll return to the practical application part later, but for now, let's leave it at that. By all means, do email me personally if you want to talk uh, about anything from today's show or more generally in property investing for that matter. 
And as ever, the email address, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. Of course, the show notes will be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. The transcription might follow a day or two later, so uh, check in for that a bit later on, but I do plan to have a transcription of the interview as well. Now, though, all that remains to say is thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.